kick off the 87th best club in Britain. <laughs> what is it like down there? Um, in uh, in Walsall, in the heart of the Black Country. Uh, and also the basement of League Two, but ask the question the way uh, that best fits. <laughs> um, I'll answer it from a football perspective. Being in the basement of League Two is uh, not great. Last season was... Uh, our worst finish in the Football League since it went to four divisions in 1958. Pretty sobering season, COVID notwithstanding. Yes, it, it was um, probably the worst season in my lifetime. Factor in um, league position, um, the manager um, leaving just after Christmas, um, selling two of our best players just after Christmas. And sort of the strategy was clear to see, which was just um, holding on and hoping that we could... Um, be uh, you know avoid being one of the two worst teams um, in the division and then regroup uh, this season and we managed it just about but there were some very nervous points along the way. I know exactly the feeling of not looking to be the three worst. Fortunately, I think Newcastle, Southampton. If it's any consolation, in 1977, Watford were 92nd. Six years later, we were second. Although it did take Elton John's millions, which I don't think is forthcoming. At uh, the best goal. Not, not at the moment. We do have a very, uh, a very good chairman. He's been in charge for a couple of seasons now. It's been a bit, a bit of a baptism, baptism of fire. Mm. But um, yeah, Lee Pomlet is the man in the hot seat now, and um, you know he, he earned a lot of um, brownie points to start with by um, simply not being the previous chairman um, who'd been there for a long time um, and had sort of done you know a lot to. Uh, alienate most of the fan base started off in League 2 um, where we managed to sort of scrape a, a mid-table finish in the, the sort of Covid affected um, first season and then the season that's just finished obviously um, was a complete nightmare So, um, but yeah he's, he's still got the backing of the fans, there's still a lot of goodwill there um, by virtue of the fact that he actually communicates with us, which is completely different to um, the previous regime. Um, but there were points last season where patience was certainly beginning to wear thin um, and a poor start to this season. And, um, you know, those grumbles will uh, undoubtedly resurface. Yeah, I, I love what Watford is for the town. We are a Premier League town. Our forward line is a Senegalese, a Colombian and a Brazilian. We've got Ben Foster as the sub-goalkeeper with Tom Cleverley. But we've got a very, very inexperienced manager. And if it goes wrong, who do you think the idiots, or some people call them fans, are going to blame? Are they going to blame the owners, the managers, or finally the players? Who include a Walsall club legend of whom more shortly, because Tom Lines, we have to start with the reason that we're talking. Uh, By the way, you do get your Football Library laminated membership card. Do you want a particular Walsall legend upon it? Yes, please. It would have to be my uh, childhood favourite, David Kelly, uh, on my laminated football library card, please. Ah, and uh, for imbeciles like me who do not know him, why is he so important to the Sadler folk? David uh, Ned Kelly um, started his Mm -hmm. career um, at Walsall. He came from uh, non-league Alf Church in the Midlands. He was working as a a factory sweeper at um, the uh, Cadbury's factory in Birmingham um, and playing non-league when we picked him up. And um, over the course of sort of four or five years on his way into the first team, he he peaked in 1988 where he scored 30 goals as we um, beat Bristol City in the playoff final. 
um, after a replay um, when it was it was that long ago. It was when um, playoffs finals were over two legs, and if it was a draw over the two legs, you got a replay. Um, so he scored a hat trick in that replay in one of my favourite games as a Warsaw fan. Um, that four 0 win over Bristol City to take us into Division Two, as it was then. Bristol City, you say? Isn't there a Bristol City connection with the current manager of Walsall? Not that I can think of. Matt Taylor. Matt Taylor, sure I the... thought, played for both Bristol clubs. Oh, oh, it was Northampton. Northampton and Swindon. Um, oh. That's right, yes, he's played for Northampton and Swindon. Confusingly, of course, in League Two, there are two Matt Taylors, um, which led to, um, before Matt Taylor was appointed um, earlier in the summer... Um, there was a, a rush of bets placed on Exeter's manager, who is also called Matt Taylor. Um, and then to everyone's, and nobody could quite work out why he would leave Exeter for Warsaw, given the respective seasons that we just had. And of course, it turned out that um, it was um, the other Matt Taylor that we were after, wow. who was um, Tottenham's under 21 manager at the time. So uh, much hilarity ensued. Now, I'm, I'm going to have to look up when Exeter uh, play against um, Walsall, because I think they might be in the same division. They are, yes. Yeah, it's October the 2nd, so I will make sure that this goes out uh, around the Matty Taylor derby, as it will be called, <laughs> uh, because there is, there's no urgency for this to go out, because all the optimism that Walsall fans will feel uh, will either be... Uh, rewarded or crushed in the next few weeks. Uh, do you have a League Cup tie uh, as we speak on the 4th of August coming up? Yes, we've got Doncaster. Isn't particularly glamorous and has all the hallmarks of a um, a dull 1-0 uh, early exit, but um, we shall have to wait and see on that one. Doncaster against Walsall is the kind of fixture that the... I call them the... Um, not the nebbish six. Uh, the destructive six... I keep coming up with a different name, but that's the fixture that they want gone. And yet, I think more closely, football fans like me and those who come to the football library and listen to this radio show will know that fixtures like Exeter City versus Walsall or Doncaster Rovers against Walsall, yes, there are other things to do in the black country. You can go to the museum. How close to the museum do you live to, the black country museum? Um, About 200 miles away, um, because I live in Yorkshire, have done for about the last 15 years. I, I live in York, uh, capital of the north. Glorious, and, um, glorious city. Yes. So um, I, I traded in the beauty of Warsaw for the uh, for the beauty of York about 15 years ago. Does that mean you have like a 75-mile season ticket if you want to go to Warsaw? Yes, it's uh, it's quite um, a long um, round trip, but, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't begrudge that at all. It's, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's one of the things I do miss about... Um, living in the Midlands alongside the Orange Chips, um, but uh, I'm also very happy up here in uh, in Yorkshire. And of course, I get to go to a lot of the uh, correct, yeah, the northern the northern games in League Two. So I'm particularly looking forward to uh, to Harrogate this season, which I wrote about about five years ago and never imagined that um, Warsaw would be playing them. Um, but here we are. Um, I wrote about them when they were still sort of, I think they were in the Conference North at that point. So yeah, I'm looking forward to my trip to Harrogate and um, Hartlepool as well. It'd be nice to um, yeah. be nice to reacquaint ourselves with Hartlepool again. Quite right, and I hope that you get the centre spread for one of those games because the best part 
of the When Saturday Comes magazine to which I subscribe and which got me through a train journey just this weekend was uh, is the middle bit where someone goes to a ground and gives a thousand words on the sight, sounds and smells of a particular club. And I think a Harrogate or Hartlepool game against Walsall when you are a transplanted... I mean, you've got citizenship for Yorkshire now. You've been there 15 years. You're a citizen. Yeah. I am. Yeah. I, I have it through birth because my mum was born in Hull. She was born in Cottingham. So I am half Yorkshire. Okay. But uh, flicking through When Saturday Comes, just this last issue, d- does it bring the same kind of thrill that it did the first time when your byline is in print? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and talking of Hull and talking of the, uh, the match report... Um, I was lucky enough to cover um, Hull City against Sunderland for them about uh, three issues back. Yeah, I read that. Um, sort of towards the end of the uh, the season. So I had a very enjoyable late afternoon, early evening, wandering around Hull to get that sort of uh, local flavour. And then a, a very, obviously a very strange experience where I went to a game, the only game um, I attended in person last season, obviously, when um, I was in the press box for, for the actual game, which was, uh, yeah, a, a very a very strange experience, but actually a very good game. Yeah, I, I remember coming away from it thinking that is a good game of third-tier football. Grant McCann's hull uh, in the Championship this year, he seems to be a brilliant man-manager. And uh, because Hull is famously not glamorous, apart from when it was the capital of culture, Hull, I think, will go under the radar. I think a mid-table finish will suit them this year and then they'll build on that. Uh, as for Sunderland, I tried to blow a raspberry. I couldn't even do it. Um, what, what, did, what feeling did you get from watching Sunderland, who are uh, just north of Yorkshire in um, Mackham country? Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when we were in League One, um, there's obviously a lot of, uh, a lot of schadenfreude kicking around for anyone, any ex-premier league team who uh, ends up slumming it in um, in division three but um i've always enjoyed my my trips to um wearside excellent pies i do have to say and i always enjoy the, the sort of walk over the bridge um to the ground um but you know there's something enduringly amusing about um sunderland being uh, marooned in um league one so um apologies to any Mackham's listening, but, um, you know, it comes with the territory when you're a big club, I guess. And if you want a flavour of Sunderland, I've read them for the 92. Nick Barnes was particularly brilliant at taking us through the various eras of the last 20 years of Sunderland AFC. Uh, But we're here to talk Warsaw. What percentage of pupils in your school year were Warsaw fans, Tom Lines? I think it was probably about 4%, something like that. It was about half a dozen out of 300. Well, that um, scales so down I'm... to 2. 2 out of 100. Yeah, 2% then, isn't it? Two... I'm sorry, I'm terrible at maths. But, um, yeah, it's uh, as I say in, in um, my article in the, in the current issue of When Saturday Comes, um, the strange thing about Walsley is that it's a very, very big town, one of the biggest towns in the country, bigger than... Um, Sunderland, big, bigger than Hull, funnily enough, two um, clubs we've just, or two towns we've already mentioned, and um, bigger than Wolverhampton. In terms of the fans, a very small percentage of people who live there uh, actually support the club. So, um, you know, it was um, it was a blessing in disguise, it turned out, because, of course, you know, I gravitated towards the uh, the other Warsaw fans in my year at school, the sort of half dozen of us. I didn't know anyone um, when I went to 
senior school. So it was a good introduction and uh, a good way to make a few friends who, who are still really good friends today. Fantastic. And we will get to them. I've just um, typed Walsall into a well-known search engine. It is um, quite hilarious that it's just north of U Tree, West Bromwich. It is uh, west of Sutton Park and Sutton Coalfield. Blocks it. Blocks it or blocks which is just north? Uh, yeah, I mean, most of them are, apart from Sutton Coalfield, are sort of areas of Walsall. So the borough oh, is, wow. um, is very big. So Blockswich um, is where I was born, funnily enough, um, which is uh, to the north of, uh, of Walsall. And then, yeah, there are, there are bits that stretch all the way over to Wolverhampton, all the way up to um, Cannock in Staffordshire. Yep, I know a family um, Cannock. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a big, it's a big old place. Uh, the Black Country Museum is in Dudley. Uh, Lenny Henry country. Uh, Wolverhampton is to the west. Uh, Litchfield is to the northeast. Uh, it also offers Ace Go Karting Plus, just north, <laughs> in the centre of town. Um, but I think I'd rather go to Park Line Pits Local Nature Reserve. When did they stop pitting? In your lifetime, was Park Line Pits a coal pit? No, I mean, uh, lime pits probably refers to um, the excavation of limestone. So obviously they're, of course. Uh, if I can divert into a small sort of local history section, touching on a bit of geology. Um, the reason the Black Country became such an industrial powerhouse was because it had all the raw materials for um, uh, heavy industry heavy metal. Um, and smelt, smelting metals indeed. So um, the limestone was, was part of that. So um, the lime pits was probably where they um, excavated limestone from. And um, the, the town is riddled with old um, limestone workings, which um, um, periodically collapse and, and sort of houses and whole pavements disappear um, into the ground. So it can be, uh, yeah, it's quite a, quite a dangerous place. And uh, legend has it that if you fall into various sort of um, lakes um, or sort of gravel pits around the town. Your body can be transported under the catacombs under the under the town and come up sort of twenty miles away, um, because such is the sort of uh, labyrinth of, uh, of tunnels and passageways that uh, uh, exist under the under the town centre. This is all foreign to me. I was born in 1988, so a lot of these towns had had to turn into basically call centres rather than heavy industry. And it's great that in Birmingham, I haven't yet been, but I will go next time, uh, to the Heavy Metal Museum because all the stars of that era of the 70s, like Ozzy Osbourne, is in his 70s now. Are you into the heavy stuff, the the bit that makes Birmingham the musical capital of hard music? Um, I, I love Sabbath. It is a fascinating cultural legacy. I mean, heavy metal, arguably the greatest cultural export that um, Britain's ever come up with and the fact that it was um, uh, entirely created in you know um, a couple of um, square miles of, of Birmingham and then there were offshoots so Judas Priest of course yep. um, were from the black country Rob Halford's from Warsaw and then you know all the way through to the sort of uh, glam rock stuff like Slade um, uh, who's uh, lead singer of course is also from uh, Walsall, Mr. Holder. Quite right, and he has one of the best Walsall accents. It is uh, all these years of travelling around the world playing music, and he still sounds like a bloke in the pub from Walsall. He's brilliant. I used to listen to him on Mark Radcliffe's show, um, and he is still going, still getting those royalty checks every year. But of course, uh, the place where dreams were made when you were young, when you and the other five Walsall fans uh, in your school year hung out, was. 
Fellows Park. Now, I would not have been able to tell you that before the Taylor Report, which brought the Bescott Stadium, it was Fellows Park, uh, where you played, we think, according to when Saturday comes, the last ever game as a member of the under-16s. Uh, is it Walsall Schools? Yeah, it was It was the Walsall Schools Cup final. So it was my school, Barbican, against Darleston School. Um, it was after the season had finished. Fellows Park was knocked down a couple of weeks after the game. The legend has it that, uh, as was the last um, proper competitive game played there, I think there was there may have been some sort of workmen claimed to have played games on the pitch just before it was demolished. But in terms of a you know a competitive game with a cup at the end of it, as was the uh, as was the last proper game played on that pitch. Now I, I have to, for the listeners' sake, I have to ask what it is like playing on a field that you would know the person who mowed it. You'd know the groundspeople because you'd see them when you go to the game. Yeah, um, it was astonishing playing on that pitch. Um, I've played on a couple of other big um, pitches since. I've played at the Millennium Stadium once, which is another story. But um, that was um, playing at the Millennium Stadium was amazing because it was like playing on a billiard table. So when the ball bounced, it bounced unlike um, the parks pitches that I was used to playing on in the Birmingham AFA. Um, and so it would sort of, you know, bounce true, but it would bounce at about twice the speed you were used to. So it was actually quite difficult to, to play on. Fellows Park was a bit different in that um, I remember it being quite sort of um, spongy and I remember the grass being quite long. I don't know whether that's because the groundsman um, didn't bother cutting it for, um, you know, a game so late in the season. But uh, I remember it being... Um, the grass being slightly longer. Um, but I think my abiding memory of the sort of 90 minutes was not quite believing that I was there um, on that pitch where I'd sort of watched all my favourite players growing up. And some of these players had beaten Arsenal at Highbury and had lost to Liverpool. This League Cup run of 1984, does it feel like yesterday or does it feel like black and white? Um, and well, it, it was just just before my time. Um, I was ten in 1984, and I wasn't allowed to go to the game um, either at Anfield or Fellows Park. And kind of, I, I guess my dad was um, almost right in a way because the the, the Fellows Park game, uh, a wall collapsed um, at the uh, at the Liverpool end when Liverpool scored their goal, and it sort of just served to emphasise how ramshackle fellows park was in those days i mean it was a you know it was an accident waiting to happen um effectively um and with a capacity crowd there you know almost all terracing um my my dad made the call that uh, it wasn't safe for me to go so he went and i got to hear it, all about it from him when he got back um but unfortunately i was just a bit too young to yeah. uh, to go to that game at the time. I spoke to a guy called Rocco Dean earlier today who's written a book about the Bielsa era at Leeds. And I said to him, this book could not have been written before 2001 because you're travelling around the world following games on Sky Go and BBC Sport and the ticker updates. In 1984, you either had to be there or get the pink and afterwards, or I don't know if it was on BBC West Midlands at the time, or even on the telly. Yeah, it, no, it, it, it would have been... It, certainly would have been on um, the radio because I remember um, the quarterfinal against Rotherham in that same cup run um, and I you know, vividly remember listening to that game on the radio um, in our kitchen um, in Warsaw. 
So, um, so yeah, it would have would definitely have been on uh, on Radio WM. Ah, and uh, I've got a couple of names down here. The captain was Peter Hart uh, and Richard O'Kelly, the future assistant manager. Were they the pivotal members of the team? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say they were the pivotal members. Um, uh, Peter Hart now, interestingly, um, is an ordained uh, Church of England minister, uh, is a vicar, um, I think still in the West Midlands somewhere. Um, and um, Richard O'Kelly has followed a darker path, unfortunately, um, and is now Dean Smith's assistant at Aston Villa. Ooh, uh, so he will be, uh, as, uh, as this uh, goes out, Danny Ings has just moved to Aston Villa to assuage supporters after losing Jack Grealish. Uh, but Villa have signed a couple of good players. Sorry, I'm mentioning them too much. But yeah, that's that's the big move. Uh, Peter Hart, born in Mexborough. Yes, I, and whenever I go through, sometimes I travel from York to Sheffield and the train goes uh, very slowly through Mexborough, never stops, hmm. um, but goes through Mexborough and I always think of Peter Hart. He's one of those players who uh, is always brought to mind by certain towns. Uh, I can tell you he is the team vicar at St John the Baptist Church in the parish of Armitage with Hansacre. Uh, ah, there we go. Yeah, so Arm- Armitage is one of, is just near Cannock. Yes, uh, my friend Lee Green is a postie in Cannock. And it says here, uh, Peter, was the, what role did he play for five years in the 2010s at Walsall? Unsurprisingly. Uh, was he club chaplain? He was the chaplain. So he bestowed blessings... On the likes of Erhan Oztuma, more of whom shortly. <laughs> we, we can't skip over it because for, the, for every good, we have to go with the bad. So 88, 89, 90, do you try to forget about those years? Do you um, have nightmares about those years? This is the time when the club almost folded, you say? Yeah, so, I mean, it started, started really well. Um, 88 was that promotion um, season against... Um... Uh, Bristol City when we won in the playoffs and got into um, Division 2 rubbing shoulders with um, some uh, extremely big clubs um, famously um, losing heavily at home to uh, Chelsea but we did manage to draw four all with uh, Manchester City which was one of the best games of that season they had a good we team also beat Birmingham. yeah we also beat Birmingham City 5-0 um, in the league that was a uh, that was an exciting one that season, but that was pretty much as good as it got. Um, and then we went on a horrific losing run um, where we didn't win a game for, I think it, I think it was almost 30 games um, where we um, failed to get three points. Um, we're relegated and then relegated again in 89-90, which is sort of where, you know, um, that uh, we, we come into that um, piece in when Saturday comes. So the last game that I played at Fellows Park was um, the season where we'd just been relegated for a second time. So, uh, yeah, pretty uh, pretty dark days for the club. And as you say, um, you know, most people were just glad they had a club to support because in those um, intervening years, um, we'd been, um, the, the chairman had tried to um, sell the ground completely no. um, and move us to first Molyneux and then St Andrews um, to ground share with Wolves of Birmingham City. So uh, the club came very close to going out of business um, completely. But that was quite common in that era. Wimbledon and Palace shared. Didn't Charlton share with Palace? Yeah, it was. I mean, it, you know, that, that era was um, horrific, wasn't it? Um, Brighton, of course, had to... Mm-hmm. Um, Sherwood Gillingham, I think. So yeah, there, I mean, there was there were a lot of shenanigans involving um, 
property developers and, and club chairmen who were often one and the same thing, um, selling off grounds um, without um, clubs having anywhere to go, also came very close to, uh, to a similar scenario. But then came the Bescott and this quiz question. Uh, I'm looking for the same bloke. The same bloke is the answer to both questions. Who was Walsall Player of the Year two successive seasons in the 1990s and was on the losing side when Walsall beat Reading in the 2001 Second Division playoff final? That could be one of two players. Oh, no. Um... I didn't check the question properly. (laughs) Uh, It could be Martin Butler, but it could also be Adrian Vivash. Uh, the, the answer on the card is Viviash, uh, but right. I, I think I will bow to your expertise. Um, I'm writing a book on the FA Youth Cup, and Adi Viviash is one of the key figures. Is it Vivash or Viviash? Uh, we've always said Vivash. Well, that's interesting because that would have been very embarrassing because I'm planning to chat to him. I think he's assistant at Coventry, as far as I know. He is, yeah. He's, he, funnily enough, he always gets linked with the um, with the Walsall job um, because. He um, did great things at um, Chelsea, didn't he, um, as youth team boss? Well, um, yes, but how many graduates? Zero. Loftus-Cheek is the closest they got, but all of Adi Vivash's work, not rewarded because their Russian owner liked to spend his rubles. Yeah, that's true. So I, I will look forward to talking to him, but I didn't know he was such a ledge at Walsall. Another ledge who made over 350 appearances in the 1980s. Uh, managed a Premier League winning team. The team had won the Premier League when he took over. Uh, not Brian Horton. The answer on the card is Craig Shakespeare. Ah, oh, Craig Shakespeare, yeah, of course. Did he play like he looked? Uh, no, not at all. Um, he was a, something of a genius. He was... Um, oh, didn't he come he through at Forest? Maybe he didn't. I'm, I'm, not sh- I'm not sure if he came through at Forest or not. I thought he was more local than that but um but yeah he um uh he was an incredibly gifted player sort of with a wand um of a left foot scored lots of free kicks um could pass the ball um anywhere on the pitch incredibly accurately um and was just a sort of a a lovely um classic sort of number four uh central midfielder who pulled all the strings for us Mm -hmm. um so no i guess in answer to your question he didn't play how he looked unless you know, you see him in the tradition of gifted, um, slightly rotund um, players, but um, I sort of—I don't—he he certainly wasn't the most rotund player in that uh, in that particular Walsall team. Oh, I see. I've just got this lovely image of uh, Craig Shakespeare and N'Golo Kante talking about the central midfield position, because Craig Shakespeare came across in all the interviews I read and in Johnny Northcroft's book as the go-between figure between Ranieri and the dressing room. And so he played a very pivotal role in that Leicester triumph, which obviously led him to being given the managerial role. Um, but he seemed like a mainstay of that Walsall team growing up. Did you ever meet him or get his autograph? No, I didn't. I didn't meet him. I got. Um, I received the Walsall Phoenix under-14 player of the season at uh, the Sadlers Club, the sort of social club that was attached to Fellows Park. But I think it was Paul Jones who presented me with my trophy there. You usually used to wheel out a Walsall player um, to present the uh, 
present the trophies if you sort of booked a, a function, a presentation an evening at the uh, social club. And I think it was Paul Jones who uh, presented me with that. And, um, you know, sorry, Paul, but uh, I would have much preferred it to have been uh, Craig Shakespeare. He was, a, he was a very intelligent, very gifted footballer. I will try and go back and watch some footage of him um, because I only know him as uh, the the coach. I don't think he's in a job. At, oh, no, he is. He's a... He's at that club that we can't mention, I think. Is he? I oh, have dear. a feeling. I'm going to check again. Yes, I'm afraid he is. So um, he'll also be at that club. But enough about them. 20 years ago, that second division playoff win took Walsall to the first division. It was against Reading. Rather than getting you to name the eleven just yet, what did manager Ray Graydon do in extra time that changed the game? Uh, well, he... he uh... Darren Byfield on for a start. Yep, that's that's one correct answer in that question. Uh, Byfield was the chap who scored the winner, as I'm sure every Walsall fan, even the ones who weren't born then, know. But what particular uh, thing, which is quite rare in professional football, did he do as a manager? Did, did he start watching the game? He may well have done. Yes, because <laughs> if you're 2-0 down against Reading at Wembley, uh, it was in Cardiff, wasn't it? Not at Wembley. It was in Cardiff, yeah. yeah. What was it like watching that game? Watching that pitch that you played on? Uh, it was it was horrible. Um, but you know, when you talk about your favourite Walsall games, um, I mentioned one of mine earlier, which was the the four nil um, win against Bristol City in, in another um, famous playoff victory. The reason I like that game so much is because it's it's one of the least typical Walsall games of all time. In that it was easy. Um, um, Walsall games are never easy. Um, and so to win that game against Bristol City at a counter was, you know, was just lovely. And we, you know, we were we were 3-0 up relatively early on, um, so there was never any danger. Um, the, the Reading game was horrible. You know, it swung back and forth. They took the lead, we equalised. They took the lead again, we equalised. And then Darren Byfield popped up with the winner, which was completely unlikely. And then uh, that was the worst point for me, the, the point where we went three two up in this incredibly important match and there was still sort of there's still 10 minutes left in the second half of um of extra time um and of course your mind starts racing and you imagine all the things that can happen in that final 10 minutes and that's probably the longest 10 minutes of my entire life um the the result was phenomenal the game um you know i, I wouldn't want to relive it, it was far too uh, nerve-wracking. Well, you had the 20-year celebrations, I'm sure, uh, talking to other, talking to those five other Walsall fans from your primary school. Were they? Were you all there? Had you stayed friends into young adulthood? Yes, pr- pretty much. We were, we were all standing in the same um, row um, at the um, at the ground um, at, the, at the Millennium Stadium. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of a, a lot of hugging and a lot of celebrating, and more than anything, we were just stunned at what we uh, what we just witnessed. I mean, it was, it's it goes under the radar because it's um, you know it's a um, League One playoff final between two relatively um, unheralded clubs in Reading and Warsaw, but it must be in the top ten most exciting playoff finals of all time. You know, the the twists and turns, the sort of the, the winner, unexpected winner in uh, in extra time. The fact it was Ray Graydon getting promoted for the second time in three years, um, just to prove that the first time wasn't a fluke. It was an amazing, amazing game. But you don't remember that Ray Graydon made a triple substitution 
in extra time. Did he? Was that, it a triple substitution? That's, no, that's what the card that. says. Byfield was one of them. And I know exactly where to go to uh, ask about the playoffs. Rich Foster, the great Rich Foster, who literally wrote the book, which is in the Football Library. 